when you see your head's out of shot, just FYI. Thanks, Mel. <laughs> Do you want to see my hair? <laughs> I'll have to move back and I've got a stain on my top from lunch. So. <laughs> Hey. Hi. All right, guys. Welcome, everybody. It's seven thirty. Let's let's go ahead into our presentation this evening. Welcome to all our viewers online. We're glad that you've joined us. Uh, please share the video online uh, with other people, and we appreciate your comments and engagement as we go throughout our presentation each evening. I'd just like to invite everyone to introduce themselves, and then we will go into our presentation this evening. Hi, I'm Nisa from Doncaster. Hi, I'm Melissa from Tamworth slash Birmingham. Hi, Sam from Wolverhampton. Hi, I'm Nyson from Birmingham. Hi, uh, I'm Cyril Sweeney, pastor of Camp Hill Seminary Church, Birmingham. Hi there, guys. My name is Adam from Nottingham and glad to be with you guys. This evening, we have our presentation that's going to be given to us by Sam Walters and I'll hand over to him now. Um, let's say a prayer and we'll begin. Dear Lord, please be with us as we go through um, this two-hooker prayer tonight. I'm praying that you will speak to our hearts and transform our lives. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So the story for tonight is about Peter. And usually we tend to read or look at the story. Well, put it this way. There's not many stories in the Bible that are found in all four Gospels. But this particular story, it's found in all four. Hmm. So it kind of gives you a 360 of 360 degrees of what actually happened, what was really going on, um, the circumstances behind it. And so what I'm going to do, it might seem a bit laborious, but just bear with us. I'm going to read it, the initial section in all four. Then I'm just going to read the next section in one of them and then just so you can get some background. And you'll know what story it is when we go there. We're talking about forgiveness and reconciliation for those of you who have not been with us all week. Um, here we go. Matthew chapter 26, and I'm just gonna read three verses, verses 33, 34, and 35. Peter answered and said unto him, though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. That's three times. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise, also said all the disciples. So that's, that's so you're looking at, you've got four, four angles which we're looking at the story tonight. So that's angle number one. Angle number two, Mark 14, verses 29 through to 31. Three verses. But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. And Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake more vehemently, if I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise, also said they all. All right, lens number three, 
Luke 22, 31 through to 34. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he might sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day, before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. And then version four, this is the last version. John 13, 36 to 38. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither thou goest, whither goest thou, sorry. Jesus unto him, whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus unto him, wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Sorry, we've got the first part of the story. You're looking at forgiveness and reconciliation. When you deny Christ and what forgiveness looks like, what reconciliation looks like. So that's the first part of the story. It then transitions to the Garden of Gethsemane. You know that section where Jesus is praying and he's, he's asked the disciples um, to pray with him. And then, you know, Jesus comes and he finds his disciples sleeping. And um, in Matthew 26, 40, it says, and he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and said unto Peter, um, you know, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray. This is Jesus speaking to Peter. That ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Then you've got the clincher. And we'll do this one from Luke. You've got different versions that different different gospels that do it in different ways. Um, in Luke, so now you've got this scenario where Jesus has told Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows twice. Then you've got the Gethsemane, Gethsemane scenario where, um, you know, Jesus is praying and he, the disciples are sleeping and he says specifically to Peter, Peter, watch and pray so that you don't enter into temptation. Then the mob comes with Judas. Judas kisses um, Jesus on the cheek. All the disciples. Well, actually, before that, you know, Peter comes with the sword thing, tries to chop him in the ear, but then the situation doesn't transpire as Peter hoped. All the disciples forsake him and fled. And then the mob's taking Jesus away. And Peter and John decide to kind of follow after the mob a bit back. And um, reading from Luke 22, from verse 54, um, you see what happens. Then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. And when they kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him. She looked at him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, 
this man also was also with him. And he denied him, saying, woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, thou art also of them. And Peter said, man, I am not. And about the space of one hour, after another confidently affirmed, saying of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Whew. Heavy. You know, God has a thousand ways in which he appeals to the heart. To some people, it's through music. To some people, it's through a sermon. To some people, it's through the warnings of their mom. To some people, it's when a, a teacher pulls them aside and says, you know, I, I, I'm not liking what you're doing with here. You, may, you might want to look at, you might want to look at fixing your behavior. And to Peter, it came through the crowing of a cock. So I guess first question is, what do you guys think? When Peter said, Lord, you know, in the beginning, he said, he said, um, you know, I'll never be offended. I won't deny you. I'll die with you. I'm ready to go to prison with you. Do you think Peter was sincere? Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Interesting one. I think he meant it. You think he meant it? I don't think he anticipated the overwhelming stuff that would come after. Um... We also like to think the best of ourselves, right? So you would only like have thus far in their relationship, he'd kind of proven himself to be um, a risk taker and the one that would really go out there for Christ. Like he walked on water, like he's, he's got a, a very decent track record of, of relationship with Christ. So based on his past experience, I think it was, wasn't wild of him to say like, oh, I would never let you down Jesus. But obviously Christ knew something more about his character than he did. I, I would agree with you. I, I, I don't think Peter anticipated for one moment that actually he would deny at that time. It's when the reality hit him. I think that's when he realized, because I'm sure he meant it. And I, I think he meant it as well. I think he was sincere because from the passage that you read, I thing too when Jesus tells him you know um before the cock before the cock crows twice thrice um you're going to deny um that you know me well because before he crows twice so you're going to deny that you know me and then he, Jesus says to him you know he says I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail so in that he's basically telling us that Peter had faith and he was praying for him that when he denies him his faith would not become completely extinguished so even Jesus recognized hmm. um and I guess following that, have you ever found yourself doing things that you would never imagine that you would do? Never. Never. 
you know, you, you've just never imagined that you would do this. Um, or off. There's, some, there's some things that maybe you thought were off limits for you. Mm. And you found yourself doing them. Has that ever been your, your scenario? Um, what's the type of thing that brings you to your senses when you're in that situation? What kind of things kind of make you think, hold on, Sam, you said you would never do this. That's a hard one. Mm. It's like exposing your whole life. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes it's someone close to you. And I think those are the the true friends that we have that will call you out in those moments. Um, Mm. There's a lot of people that we, we sometimes are friends with and are friendly with. And we're close with, but I think that the test of a, a good friend from a great friend is someone that will call you out in those moments mm-hmm. in a nice way, in, in a, in a well, nice way, a direct way, and a way to get your attention. Mm-hmm. Or it's seeing someone that you judged and then you realize that you're, you're living in a similar way or like the way that, a behavior that you notice in that person that may be, Five years ago, you were like, Mm-mm-mm. how could she do this? Or how could he do that? And then you see them again and you're like, ooh. Yeah, I've had the David experience. Uh, you know, Nathan, uh, mm. David calling others. And then Nathan says, thou art the man. Mm. And uh, I've had that experience in ministry with a colleague. Mm. Not Pastor Ramdin, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that's hard when you can't see your own stuff. Mm. And then when it hits you, it is very humbling. Mm. Mm. Um, Do you think as Christians, sometimes we have a tendency to overestimate ourselves? (laughs) I think so. Um, Maybe another way as well. Sometimes I think as Christians, we underestimate our weaknesses, which is the same thing but you end up with the same, same conclusion, but sometimes we don't realize just how weak we are. And so we become complacent, mm. I think. As, that's um, that's what, what it was with Peter, he, he was complacent. And he over, also overestimated himself. And sometimes like the strength of our character in other areas that maybe people compliment or tell us, you know, like, yeah, compliment basically. Um, we may think that that can compensate for weakness in another area. So then when it comes to it, you may put yourself in a situation where there's temptation, which actually you ought to run away from like Joseph, just flee the situation. Mm-hmm. But instead you're kind of like, actually like, I'm actually pretty good in these other areas. So maybe I'll be fine here, where instead you, just because you're strong in one part of your Christian walk, doesn't mean that that's like spread across the whole of your character. Mm-hmm. That's true. I've I've discovered as a pastor, um, sometimes we can think that we are, uh, because we're pastors, uh, that, oh, no, it could never happen to me. It could never, you know. um, But I've learned in my experience that uh, you always should say, but for the grace of God, Mm -hmm. there go I. And Mm -hmm. that helps you to recognize because you know i've heard pastors say oh it never happened to me oh, i wouldn't do that no, i'm a pastor i'm a and uh oh yeah the devil loves to hear that kind of stuff and he mm-hmm. he likes the challenge and then when you fall he's laughing at you say yeah i taught you said you could you know no 
it's but for the grace of God, there go I, whatever that may be. Mm. So, you know, when Jesus said to him, watch and pray, you know, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Um, what role do you think Peter not doing that had on his denial of Christ? Because he was sleeping, wasn't he? When mm. he should have been watching and praying. Um, do you think that impacted him later on? Yeah. Um, because Jesus specifically said to him, watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. So in other words, the reason why he fell into temptation is because he did not watch and pray. Um, I think one of the things that Jesus says to him is always, he says, because the spirit is willing, which again is like another testament of his sincerity, but he says the flesh is weak. Mm -hmm. And again, because he wasn't watching and he wasn't praying, he was unaware of what weaknesses the devil might be pressing in his character when the moment comes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so here's a clincher. When you deny Christ and everyone knows, like this is in all four of the gospels, or you do something in church and everyone knows. Or you've done something and you thought no one knew, but now everyone knows. You know how it is. You thought you were doing something in private, but now everyone knows. Mm -hmm. How do you, what process does one come through? Or what process does one go through? Because it kind of, must be kind of embarrassing. Mm -hmm. Now that everyone knows, I've been there. You've done something wrong. Now everyone knows. Now you have to show your face in church because you know you should be in church. How do you, what does that process look like of still coming back and how do you deal with that? You hearing the question? Yes. Okay. I think you're so exposed. You're basically bare. You know, it feels like people can really see you um, for who you are. Um, I think it's a humbling process, especially when you're actually received. But I think as the person who is still showing up, I know for myself, I can try to overcompensate, try and show that I've changed in any way that I can, whether it's going above and beyond, um, just trying to, to let people see that actually I'm repentant. I'm not doing it anymore. And um, the thing that you know about me, I'm not up to that stuff at the moment. Mm. Mm. What might help as well is a quiet confidence of your own forgiveness from God. So then like, even when people may come to you, I'm thinking of like, thinking like the public sins that people maybe are sanctioned for in church or maybe dealt with in our community. And um, perhaps like if having a child out of wedlock or adultery, like we discussed yesterday how no sin is bigger than another. So once you've reconciled yourself to Christ, and you come back into the fellowship, you then of course have to kind of deal with the consequences, but also deal with, I don't know, people's expectations and the pedestals that have, were here and now they're here and the awkward conversations. But what might help someone that's going through that is, I've reconciled to God. So ultimately your opinion doesn't have as much weight as God does of me. So the gossiping or the, the, the anxieties you might have about what people are saying about you in the background, the impact of that can be reduced by the fact that actually I've reconciled to the one whose opinion actually matters here. I think ultimately it's it's a very difficult um, thing to go through because like Nisa was saying, you're at a point where you're feeling, you are quite vulnerable 
and it takes a lot of humility but it also takes a lot of courage to go mm -hmm. through that process and to um, to accept responsibility for the sin and also the consequences that come with it as well um going back to the point about you know if it's done and everybody knows it i just thought of the example of zacchaeus you know everybody knew that he was robbing everybody um but i think it's quite nice because in his case he came and he was very almost joyful and happy to to confess what he had done and to try to make restitution and I think sometimes that's also part of the healing process. If there is somebody who has been hurt by your actions, I think it also gives you peace when you can make amends. You can't always, but when you can, it also gives you peace and helps you with the healing and the reconciliation process. I think that's beautiful what you've all said. Um, and of course, uh, you know, yes, one should first of all seek forgiveness from God. And yes, as has just been said, if uh, someone has been hurt as a result, uh, to seek forgiveness uh, uh, also from those for whom you've hurt. But you know, guess who the hardest person can be to forgive? Exactly, exactly. And I've come across people who beat up themselves uh, because they just can't forgive themselves. But it's about gaining that reassurance, look, God can, you know, as the American preacher would say, save from the, uh, you know, the uttermost to the guttermost, as it were. There's nothing that you can do that he cannot forgive you for. Now, then, not everybody will uh, <laughs> agree with me on that one. <laughs> but no, God, he is the one who can forgive and you've got to accept his forgiveness and make it yours Amen. so i guess kind of transitioning um so you know when jesus looks at peter so peter peter just heard the cock crow then him and him and jesus have the locked eyes what do you think is going on in peter's mind <laughs> The same thing that goes through your mind when you're sitting on the front row of church and your mom looks at you. <laughs> <laughs> you, turn, you turn around and you, and, you, and you get the eyes. You're like, Ooh. It's, 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 it's even worse, Pastor, when you're standing at the pulpit preaching. Your mom's looking at you. <laughs> Boy, who tell you to say that? <laughs> what exact feelings he would have been going through I think I can imagine but it's intensified by the fact that Jesus asked him like three times like love is down me like love is down me Peter like love is and it's like what what Jesus you know and then when that, that when you make that eye contact you're like oh, I don't even know what words can we use to describe that feeling guys mm. it's I beyond mean, regret is... or mm. disappointment it's beyond that yeah 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 I mean, mm. this is like in the moment, right? You mean when he's still by the fire? Yeah. The cock crows. So he hasn't gone crows. through the whole thing. It's the moment. I think one of the things that's important to remember is, is like one of the most important aspects of our communication as human beings is eye contact. Mm. Mm. You can say a lot through your eyes. And I think Peter's reaction would have also been based on what Jesus was communicating through his eyes. Mm. And I think it's really important because Jesus forgave him even before he committed that sin. Mm -hmm. So I imagine that the look that Jesus gave him was also a forgiving look. 
which probably would have hurt Peter even more, mm. then it would have helped him later on when he's in the garden praying to realize that he mm. can still come back. Mm. Yeah. Sometimes, uh, you know, have you, ever been, have you ever been in trouble and what you want for your parents to do is to give you the smack? <laughs> That's what you want. But it's when they come with the talk about, you know, or sometimes they're almost in tears to say, you know, this is not how I raised you. And, and they're coming up, it's those, those sometimes those ones are deeper than the smack. I'm triggered, Sam, I'm triggered. <laughs> it's all coming back. Yeah, need a moment, guys. <laughs> if you saw what I'm saying. And I think that, that look that, G, that Peter gave, so obviously Judas denied Peter, sorry, Judas denied Jesus, and Jesus, no, let me get my words right. Judas denied Jesus, and Peter mm. denied Jesus. Mm. What happened? What was the difference in responses? What, mm. what led to Judas's end? What led to Peter's end? Because obviously Judas hung himself. Mm. And um, Peter, Peter was reconciled. He, ex- he had forgiveness and was reconciled. Whereas mm. Judas didn't go through that same journey that Peter went through. What do you think? What was the difference? Yeah, I, I guess for, you know, for Judas, um, it seems to me that his remorse wasn't really repentance. It was just sorrow. You might say sorrow for getting caught, sorrow for, but there wasn't a genuine, even though Jesus knew what Judas was gonna do. And even during the supper, he kept reaching out to him. He kept saying, he, he gave him every opportunity, but it's really for Judas, he just, didn't give his heart totally to Jesus. And, um, and of course, the sin which made him take his own life, uh, that really, if, if he'd have just accepted Jesus, it could have been a different story. Mm. Could have been a different, and Jesus wanted it to be a different story, but he gives us a choice. I think that Peter realizes one of the comments that comments. Peter, Peter realized in that moment when Jesus looked at him that that he really well. He probably, you know, my guess is what he realized in that moment was something that he had been told other times in his life. Like Peter, mm. you know, one day you, one day your temper is going to get you in trouble, or Peter, one day like you can't trust yourself or, you know, he would, he'd probably been told that by his parents or by Jesus. And in that moment, it's like, ah, everything I've been told about myself and everything that the spirits convicted me about myself, it's true. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, this is all true. And in that moment, so he realizes that, you know, he can't trust himself. He realizes that whatever advice or mentorship he's got is right. It all clicks in that moment. Um, Judas, though, I think going back to the title, truth and consequences, to a certain degree, Judas is only sorry because of the consequences of his actions. Mm, that, that what, yeah. he tried, what he tried to do and, you know, manufacturing this, you know, mm. whatever, it, it all doesn't work. And he realizes what's going to happen. So he's, he's sorry that the consequences of his actions haven't led to what he wanted it to, but he's mm. not really sorry for, for what, he, what he did. No. Mm. It's interesting as well okay. that, like, that, that Jesus is the same middle character, I guess, on both sides. So he's the same person that Peter has let down. He's the same person that Judas has let down. And the same forgiveness was available to each of them. Mm-hmm. 
And I think mm. sometimes even in our own experiences, is it possible that we have varied experiences assuming maybe how someone might respond if you were to ask them for forgiveness or the reaction we might get if we were completely honest. But actually, like, we don't know. Um, what in Christ's character, it was clear that he was always forgiving. Um, but I just found that interesting that we can have two people commit similar acts kind of at the core um, mm. and Jesus' forgiveness is available to both, but how they respond, it's on them. Mm. Mm. So like in a hypothetical situation, Judas could have been forgiven. Mm. Mm. That's right. Mm. Well, yeah, it's interesting because when you look at Luke chapter 22, when he's given the Lord's Supper, he talks mm. about how this is the blood of the covenant, which is, you know, shed for you all. Um, and that would have obviously included Judas as well because he had to drink, he had to take the Lord's Supper as well. So Jesus was not excluding him from that, even though he even called him a devil before mm -hmm. that whole thing transpired. And at the end of time, from that point, like the idea that the offering that Christ made was available to all, at the end of time, none of us are going to be able to say that it was on Jesus, why we don't mm -hmm. make it into heaven. Like everyone's going to be like, just and true were your ways, O oh Lord. Like we are going to have to acknowledge that if anything separated us from eternity with God, it was on us, not on him. Right. You were talking about the difference between Judas and the difference between Peter in terms of why did one come back and one didn't. I was just thinking back as well, I think it's Luke chapter 5, when Peter is still in the early days of his relationship with Jesus. You know when they have the catch of many fish? Mm -hmm. And then he, you know, he comes back to, when, when they come back to the land, he kneels before Jesus and says, forgive me for I am a sinful man. Mm -hmm. I think Peter had already had an experience in confession and repentance, and he knew what it was like to accept that he was sinful. And he knew what it was like to already be forgiven from that beginning. Mm. But it seems like Judas never really allowed himself to come to terms with his own weaknesses. And mm. so he always thought he was aloof from his own weaknesses. So when he came to the point where he needed to be forgiven, he had never really experienced true conviction of sin or true repentance. He didn't even know how to go about it. And his own sins and guilt overwhelmed. Mm. Mm. Yeah. But just, just on what Nathan said, if anyone's feeling overwhelmed, um, the same forgiveness that was offered to Peter and to Judas is definitely offered to you and to us. Um, anyone's mm. feeling overwhelmed. Um, hey, just when you feel just, just to pause you, Sam. Uh, sorry to uh, do so. Yeah. But it's, it's eight o'clock. Yes. And, 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 and I understand that you work for the National Health Service of the United yes. Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern hey. Ireland. I was working in the hospital today. Well... <laughs> We thank you for your service, and I believe there's a, a an applause going on around the country right now. Oh, mm, oh yes. Uh -huh. so we'll, we'll just pause for 10 seconds to applaud our, 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 our health professionals around this country. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it's not easy working on the front lines, especially when some no. don't have don't have the... The, the required equipment and whatnot but mm. yeah. yeah sorry sam back to you no 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 thank you thanks for that that was a timely interjection um okay so if someone's forgiven does that mean that the consequences should be taken away what do you guys think mm, that's a deep question oh yes i need some scenarios mm. i think there's i okay well i'll bring my point up in a second Contact. Give me a scenario. <laughs> 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 so, was that, oh, David and Bathsheba. David and Bathsheba. Ooh, that was a the hard one. The firstborn son. The firstborn son. 
and why he wasn't healed. I mean, that's just the beginning of it. Later on, like David's son rapes his daughter and then mm-hmm. David doesn't do anything. So David's other son kills the other son mm-hmm. and then and then he has to flee and then he tries to become king and then it leads to a civil war, which is based, you know, family beef. But it all goes back to Bathsheba because David was incapacitated by his sin to deal with the family drama. I mean, David has some serious consequences from, um, from that one night of passion. Mm. Yeah. So I think, yeah, the consequences came. The consequences came. It's like a natural law almost. Like what a man sows, that shall he also reap. Just like gravity. Yeah, it's like gravity. So are you saying that consequences <laughs> come naturally? Um, I think there's a difference between human consequences and divine consequences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So we can get consequences from God, which could ultimately lead to salvation or, or, or not. Um, but then there's human consequences as well. Like David, you know, God forgave him. And we believe he'll be in heaven. The book of Acts tells us that. But yet he had consequences to deal with on earth as a result of his action. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes people gra- uh, struggle with that. Like, oh, I've been forgiven, so everything should go back to normal. Well, sometimes our actions do come with human consequences we have to, we have to live with. Yeah, talk to Samson about it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. One. Uh, mm. his consequences, his wrong choices, his, in spite, good parents told him what he should do. But, uh, you know, it was all him selfish get it for me you know i want what i want and even though the consequences you could say um were staring him in the face if you you know delilah he should have sussed what was going on there Mm. but where did it lead Mm. his eyes gouged out and and yet the lord still answered his prayer even in his last breath. Thinking of um, Moses as well, it's a similar mm. kind of strike, striking the rock. And it's so good that God sometimes cushions the consequences in our human mm. situation and circumstance. So sometimes we deserve like some kind of full blown mess. And sometimes that mm. does come for various reasons mm. that God knows. But sometimes he may allow one consequence to happen, but then give us something else later on or just soften the blow of that consequence. We've got a a comment coming that says the consequences in this life help us realize how far we've fallen. Um, I think that that can be true sometimes. Mm. Otherwise, you know, it may, (laughs) there's no consequences. It it can remove incentive to repent, maybe. So someone does a public denial or sins openly or I don't know what, 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 whatever it is and they want to come back to God um, and we know there's in church there's different things that happen sometimes depending on what people do with regards to sins um, why do these things happen are those things the part of reconciliation um somebody help me it's with my discipline 
talk about church. So, 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 so we saw we said consequences. There were some natural consequences. So we said, you know, David and Bathsheba, Samson, Moses, and then sometimes people do things, and then some of those. Then there's there's the church family. Um, also have a has a governance structure, okay. and um, what is that? How, what is that? How is that? play into the reconciliation process? That's the question. Okay. Um, I guess what you're talking about is uh, what we call church discipline. Yeah. I mean, I tried to make it nice. I tried to, I tried to make it sound <laughs> nice, but you, 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 you come with it. Governance, <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, if anybody was to ask me, what is it that I really, what's the thing that I most dislike? about pastoral ministry. And guess what? It's around church discipline. Mm -hmm. I have to say that there are some people who relish it and they want to be quick on the mark to, and I use the word punishment. They want to make sure that they punish those who have fallen and especially when it's public. And uh, I've come across groups where they want this individual or individuals hung, drawn and quartered. But I've also come across other people who feel, oh, come on, nobody's died. It's not a big thing. God forgives, so therefore we should forgive. Let's just let it go. Just, just you know, once the person has asked God's forgiveness, that's fine. And well, my answer to both sides is, to be honest with you, it's actually about balance. Mm. And uh, we cannot deny, um, I can give scriptural references for those who say, well, is discipline in the Bible? Well, yes, Paul mentions uh, right there in 1 Corinthians 5, 13, and also we see Galatians 1.9, where we are told uh, not to encourage uh, those who do wrong. And in fact, uh, the Bible talks about uh, encouraging and being an accomplice. I, 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 you know, I mean, it'd be good to hear what you guys think. Do, is church discipline wrong? For me, I think oh, one of the things that comes into my mind mm -hmm. is Revelation chapter 3, verse 19, where Jesus says, as many as I love, I rebuke and the chasten. Yeah. And I think this obviously talks about how God uses um, these several measures to help us to become aware of our sins and to, you know, to, to, to stir up a particular reaction. I think the mm -hmm. most important thing is he says, as many as I love, yeah. sometimes we love the discipline more than the person who's being disciplined yeah. and I think that's when there is an issue we, we we some people like you said some people relish the moment of instilling discipline mm. but actually mm. the purpose of church discipline is not just to punish people thank you to to lead them back to God which is the same as the look that Jesus gave to Peter and also the yeah. same way that God treated Adam and Eve when they sinned he still made them the tunic of skin he still took yeah. care of their physical needs. Yeah. Whereas sometimes I think it, it can become a bad thing if we use it as a means of pushing people away to make them realize that they're really, really bad people. Mm. Yeah, yeah. 
And I have to remind, uh, as a pastor, when dealing with church discipline, that Jesus had the balance. The woman caught in adultery. And uh, yeah, she was banged for rights, we could say. She was guilty. But when Jesus had to point out to those who wanted her severely disciplined, and then he said those words, where are thine accusers? Mm -hmm. well, they've all gone. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, and for those who say sin doesn't matter, he says, neither do I accuse you. But what did he say to her? Final words. Go and what? Sin no more. Sin no more. Exactly. Mm. So sin did matter to Jesus. Mm. And that was very important. Go and sin no more. Mm. If she went back to her old ways, or then, uh, well, would there be of any real change? Mm. No, she would just continue doing what Jesus didn't want her to do. Sin no more. Mm. Mm. I think church discipline done well should never be to cast shame or attention on the individuals or the individual. And I also think that it should be something that should help us make better choices, choices yep. that um, bring us closer to Christ. And I think when it's done in love and it um, casts the right image of who Christ is and his character to the person, then, then I'm for it. I think when you look at in the uh, in the church manual, um, and when you read in the Bible, it, it obviously talks about how to deal with people who are erring and um, problems that go on, and and that you know in the SDA manual when it's on this section of discipline, it uses the it brings up the example of Matthew chapter brings up the principle of Matthew chapter eighteen. And it says, you know, you know, Matthew 18, where it says, if you've got a problem with your brother, go to him alone uh, yep. and go with someone else, then go to before the church. Um, unfortunately, that's the, a, a process that's not practiced enough. Hmm. And I think we'd have a whole lot less drama in church if, if when someone saw an issue, they didn't go to the elder or the pastor first, but they went to the person first. Mm -hmm. um, or, or, or you know yeah, oh, I just want to let you know of something I've seen or have you talked to them no I haven't but c can I tell them you've talked to me no you can't tell them I've talked to you like it, we, yeah. we got all these processes all completely messed up and sometimes I think the hurt of the person in a situation is is well so-and-so so knew or so-and-so has been talking no one came to me mm. and if we followed that Matthew 18 principle at the beginning of an issue and we and we followed throughout. There'd be less. Um, maybe sometimes there'd be less hurt in some situations when people know that those who, who who found out or those who knew went to them first and prayed with them and talked with them, etc. Um, um, you know, I was reading in 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 one of the writings of Ella White, where she talks about ministers and laymen, but she says they displease God when they allow individuals to tell them the errors and faults of their brethren. They should not listen to these reports, but they should inquire: Have you followed the injunctions of our Savior? Have you gone to the offender alone? Um, 
we listen to a whole lot of stuff um, that we probably shouldn't listen to uh, from people that haven't gone to the person involved. Pastor, I spent most of my ministry doing that self-same thing. Even mm. now, um, people will come to me. And I have to say, like you said, I stop them in their tracks. I say, hold on, have you spoken to the person? Well, no, Pastor, then I don't want to know. You follow Matthew 18. It's very simple. It's very clear. And like you said, Pastor Ramnick, a lot of stuff that goes on in the church would be dealt with if we just follow God's biblical guide. It's very simple. Mm -hmm. And they get upset with me sometimes because I don't want to listen. Or I don't, you know, I'm telling them, no, I don't want to know. Pastor, you must know this is serious. Yes, it's serious enough that you should go and talk to that brother, that sister first. Mm -hmm. and I not entertaining anything and I, I don't mind uh, how upset they might be with me but I'm encouraging biblical injunction and mm. if they don't like it I'm sorry but I'm not gonna as you say listen to stuff and you haven't followed what the bible says an interesting um experience that I had when I was teaching is um there was a shift in like on a CPD training thing they had for the teachers, they brought in restorative justice as mm -hmm. a, a methodology for dealing with bad kids. So they said that um, prior to this, we've kind of been doing a lot of detentions for kind of serial offender kids, and it wasn't working, it wasn't having an impact, it wasn't changing their behavior. Um, and someone had been on a course away and came back with this restorative justice um, that they trialed in America and then we're trying to use in the UK. And it was all about kind of bringing people together, bringing students together, bringing kind of victim and perpetrator together to have a conversation and to, to reconcile and to, to discuss. So they were trying to kind of teach kids from a young age um, how to communicate with each other rather than having things escalate and kind of bringing people back together through conversation. Um, so I guess maybe part of our role is sometimes to not only mediate, but to support people and encourage, deflect from ourselves as being the people who listen and be like, you guys get together and see if you can restore the relationship firstly amongst yourselves. Mm. I, I, I like that, the restoration of a relationship and that's really what it's uh, would, as a christian church of believers and um you know satan destroys relationships mm. right from the very beginning of the creation of this world and so that's what he's about destroying family relationships he's destroying relationships one with another um and and it's about restoring and uh, using the tools in god's word to help those relationships to be uh, that's what i spent half of my ministry in family ministries uh, trying to restore relationships um because satan he's rampant and of course destroying relationships with young people huh. and uh, well we don't know yeah. to document that one mm. is there um, anything we can do to like because I think there's a lot of negativity, especially among the youth around sometimes how we as a church can deal with difficult issues. How do you think um, 
awareness of what it's about like what's kind of the foundation the purpose of church discipline or church governance as Sam described it where does that conversation happen in your experience pastors well I said about balance I think balance mm -hmm. is very important because uh I don't know if Pastor Rundin, like myself, I've sat on church boards where, uh, yes, the church has to show, especially public, saying its disapproval of actions that if we just ignored, then that would have consequences for the church negative. But at the same time, um, for me, and it's an important point that was said earlier, church discipline is not punishment we when we administer it we're not punishing the individual yes we are showing as the manual states the church's disapproval but what i've e even discovered that um in the manual there are, are given 13 reasons for church discipline and as a church uh we have uh, as it were even some churches have said well yeah as you know, there's uh, what we call censorship and there's removal of name. And what we've done of the 13, some churches have said, okay, for these six, you- Oh, Pastor, we can't them. see your face anymore. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Oh, well, I, 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 I hope that didn't put you off anyway. <laughs> so yeah, sorry about that. No, no. So yeah, um, yeah, so like, for example, uh, we say, well, these first six, we will remove the name and these other six, we will, what we call censure for a period of time. Um, but all 13 are the same. You can censure or you can remove names. There's no degree of sin that we, some of us. So, for example, the, the example you've given before, um, if uh, a girl got pregnant out of wedlock, for some, that was immediate removal of name. Uh, that has changed by God's grace. Um, and uh, the sad reality is when it comes to church discipline, uh, how many people do you know have been uh, censured for lying? Censured for um, telling uh, the truth about somebody? Gossip, <laughs> thank you. I've never, I'll be honest with you, I've never censured someone for gossip uh, should, should do because that's just as bad mm. as the other stuff that we like to regard as serious sin mm. uh, just my final comment I think that uh, whatever we do as a church in church discipline it should be what we call punitive often than not church discipline drives people away from the church they're embarrassed, they're, you know, as you said, the public stuff. And it's very hard to encourage folk to come back to church, especially if we as members make them feel that, you know, the, the gravity of their, if you like, public sin. I don't mm -hmm. know what your thoughts are on that. I it should be. I think it should be as as far as as possible something that's part of their recon, the person's reconciliation, part of restoration. Um, interesting, probably different perspective. I was at my 
I was at someone's house. I was about to say something. I, I'm glad I didn't reveal. I was at someone's house. I was at someone's house, and um, their 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 partner was there, and um, and we were talking, and they were like, "Oh, so you're a Christian?" I was like, "Yeah, yeah I'm a Christian." And the person looked at me with shock and horror. You're a Christian. Why would you be a Christian? When you've got so much, and you start detailing some of the things that different Christian organizations have done, but haven't dealt with. Mm. Are, you, are you seeing where I'm coming from? Mm. Yeah. I feel like, yeah. how can you be a Christian when you've got these types of things going on in the organization? So, and I, I just had to kind of stop and think and just reflect on that as to, you know, um, some of these things can be a put off for people. Mm. Um, yeah. um, a question has yeah. come in on on the punitive point, um, Pastor. Um, what does it mean, punitive? You mentioned that church discipline should be punitive. Should it shouldn't? Shouldn't be. It should be punitive. Should be punitive. What does punitive yeah. mean? Uh, okay, uh, <laughs> I'm using the big word, and I should know what it is. No, basically. It should be uh, redemptive. Mm -hmm. It should be um, encouraging. Uh, it should be uh, something that will make the person not feel isolated or discouraged. But it should be, um, it should make that person feel, well, yes, I, the church recognizes I have done wrong, but the church has not cast me aside. Mm. The church still desires my best interest, my soul's salvation. Um, sorry, I'll put my face back in the picture again. Um, yeah, it's, it's um, th that's how I would put, I mean, I don't know if anybody has a dictionary handy to, to confirm if I, I'm getting it right, but yeah, punitive is about. Being... We'll, we'll take the explanation. I think the explanation. The... Sorry, I say. I, I mean, I I agree with the explanation you've given of the word yeah. in, in in describing how discipline should be. Should um, be yeah. that it should be it should be something that's not vindictive. It should be something that's, that's, not, that's not um done out of spite or anger. Yeah. And I think when we go back to the story of Jesus, when he looked at Peter, I don't think Jesus was looking at Peter with like, you know, kissing his teeth while he was looking at him. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> he was looking at Peter and there was love and compassion in his eyes. And, yeah. and Peter got that. Yeah. And I think as a church, um, when we discipline, if, <laughs> if we have anything but love and compassion, then, then those who are disciplined need to, need to check their, their emotions and, and, and attitude to the person because yeah. we're in as much danger of self-righteousness or, or other character flaws as the person we're disciplining. Yep. And I do that on the board when we're doing making the decision. Uh, I remind the board members, by the way, there is stuff that you guys have done that you should be disciplined for, but A, you haven't got caught or it's only between you and God. So don't 
you know, sit there, as you rightly said, Pastor, self-righteous and self-no. Um, there is stuff that each one of us could be disciplined for, mm. but for the grace of God. Mm. So, yeah, that, that's a good reminder to those who want to point the finger. Yeah. Can, can I just bring us back to Peter quickly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, I was just thinking about how the story didn't end there with him denying Jesus. And Jesus yeah. went on to be crucified, as we know. Um, and I'm going to read from Mark 16, verse 7. Um, and I'm reading from the NLT. It says, now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. I think it's amazing that they've said including Peter. And I wonder if it kind of says how Peter was feeling about himself because he was one of the disciples. He didn't have to be named as a single disciple. He was one of them. But maybe he felt so guilty about what had happened beforehand that he hadn't included himself in all of that. And perhaps Jesus was aware that that's how he felt, but he was still included. And I think that says a lot about the restoration that took place between him and Jesus. I think that's reflected, Nisa, in, um, in John chapter 20, when um, Simon Peter, when he finds out that um, it's possible that someone's taken the body, that like he runs um, in chapter 20, verse 2, um, Simon Peter and the other disciple who Jesus loved and says to them, they've taken away the Lord. Peter, therefore, went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulchre. So they ran together and the other um, disciple outran Peter and came first to the sepulchre. Mm. Um, but I just think like Peter must have been so desperate, like for mm. news, like desperate for, is it possible that I could be forgiven? Like just one more chance of Jesus would be so mm. dear to me um, mm. that he's like running at the possibility of seeing Jesus again. Mm. 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 So then I guess you got that last scenario um, where Jesus asks Peter three times, Simon Peter, do you love me? Mm. Mm. Um, what do you think? You know, the first, it's in front of everybody. So they've just eaten. This is in front of everybody. All the disciples are there. So it's not like it's a private, this is in front of everybody. Um, why do you think Jesus asked him the question in front of everybody? I think the, the reason why it was in front of everyone, it goes back to things we, we've discussed this week when we've talked about public and private sin. If, if Peter's denial of Jesus, which is something he did in front of Jesus, then I don't think he would have done it in front of everybody. Peter's yeah. denial was public. It was, it was, I mean, pe people saw it. So the disciples by this time would have heard about it. And, you know, Peter, you're one of us, but whatever, you know, they all did something to, to you know, run away from Jesus, but his was like mm. the worst. Mm. And so because of that, because it was public, because people had seen, because people had talked about it in front of the people that Peter professed to be one of the, the, the leaders, you know, Jesus, like, in he had to be stored in front of them before he could go out for ministry. If his restoration had just been private, Jesus pulled Peter aside and said, hey, Peter, you did this. Yeah, I'm really sorry, Jesus. There would always have been a question in the minds of the other disciples. If, you know, how did he, how did he get back in with us, you know? I think it's, that's a really good point. And just adding on to that as well, one of the things that's really interesting for me, at least, is the fact that they all 
denied Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, mm. and they all forsook him and they all fled. But only Peter and John actually went into the judgment chamber. I think in the mind of Jesus as well is that when Jesus speaks to him, he says to him, um, after he's restored him, he says, you know, feed my lambs. Yeah. Um, and he said that to him in Luke chapter 22, when you are converted, strengthen thy brethren. I think that restoration in John chapter 21 was actually preparatory for the mm. work that Jesus had for Peter to play after Jesus had gone to heaven again. And unless if he had publicly given him the opportunity to confess his um, love for Jesus in front of everybody, he never would have been able to command that respect to do the work that God wanted him to do. And I think it says something about, you know, when somebody has fallen, can they ever be given the opportunity to go back to where they were before? Mm. And I think mm. we can see that in the story of Peter, after he had denied Jesus, he becomes the leading apostle in at least the first few chapters of the book of Acts. And Jesus in that moment is giving him the platform to do that kind of work as well. Mm. Mm. It was still restorative. I think, oh, yeah. can I just come back to a, there's been actually been a few comments that are coming online. I just want to mention a little point here that we did talk earlier about punitive discipline or we brought that up. Um, I would maybe suggest it's not maybe the best word um, or best word understood by our listeners today mm. and, and probably a better word because I think we often connect the word punitive with punishment, whether it's correct oh. or not. Um, a probably better word to use would be restorative discipline. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Um, and, you know, and in, in the example of Peter, we see that the, re the discipline um, or the, the, the process Jesus goes through is restorative. He restores him in front of the brethren. Mm. Mm. Yes. So you can strike that off the record. <laughs> and, and I think what was, what was so key there is what, what Nathan said um, was that Jesus giving him the opportunity to do the public apology set him up for his ministry. Had he never done that, had that opportunity, that, that public, you know, confession of, I love Jesus, then mm. there would have been that doubt of, like, when you check it in the desire of ages, in the disciples' mind just to say, you know, what's going on? Um, how come he just joined the club all of a sudden when he did this? And um, I guess sometimes I, I don't necessarily think of things like that. And maybe that's something I need to bring into my, my view of thinking. Do you think it's possible, and, and this, re this refers to something that's just actually a comment that's just coming online. Th thank you for, uh, for sharing your experience online. Do you think it's possible after reconciliation for the relationship to be stronger than before? Mm -hmm. um, I think because of that vulnerability, I think when you've humbled yourself and admitted you're wrong, you've kind of like... There was a surface relationship perhaps, or th maybe things were just never that deep and never really been open about your feelings. And now you've had to do that to ask for forgiveness or to accept that forgiveness or to offer that. So I think definitely that it, once done well, reconciliation can lead to like new heights of a friendship that can continue to progress to deeper levels because you've now crossed that boundary of openness and vulnerability. Mm. I think I, we, go on, Lisa. I was going to say, I also think there's a sense of being seen, like really being seen in that moment where you've done wrong or you've been wronged when reconciliation takes place. And when you're not rejected, but instead you're still accepted and you're loved, it gives you a platform, a platform from which to make better decisions from. So I think sometimes it can strengthen a relationship. 
Now, just thinking about how I think we mentioned this before as well earlier in, in the week, but in, in the first chapter of the book of ages, it talks about how through the redemption that is wrought for us by Christ, humanity is drawn closer to God than if we had never fallen. And, mm -hmm. and that we're and then it says that angels are striving to bring us into a connection with God that is stronger than even they themselves can know. So it is actually possible for that restoration to take us to a deeper relationship than what would have otherwise been possible without the, and it seemed like on a human level as well, I think. Yeah. And that's really where we're all heading. Mm. God wants to reconcile this world to him. He wants to restore it as it was. And so uh, we just look forward to that. Mm. One of the things that I love actually um, is communion, but I particularly like the foot washing. Um, because you know when Peter's like, when, when Jesus comes around and he's washing everyone's feet and then um, he says to Peter, you know, he comes to wash Peter's feet and Peter's like, you know, don't touch me. And then, um, you know, I'm not gonna let you, I'm not gonna let you wash me. And then Jesus says, you know, unless, unless I wash your, you know, your feet, you know, you've got no part with me and then for Peter, like, well, don't just wash my feet, wash my hands, and my he says, you know, basically wash me. And Jesus says, no, if I wash your feet, you're clean. And so when we wash each other's feet, it's almost like a mini baptism, a time for renewal, a time for reflection. It's an outward demonstration of something that's going on in here. And when we wash each other's feet, the whole, it's like a mini, you, you don't have to get dipped again for the whole thing to be clean. It's like a, Jesus saying, do the feet thing. It's like an opportunity um, to be clean. And I feel like um, that's a space for where, you know, you've done something wrong and what have you. Um, I know during the social distancing time, we're not doing those things. But in, in times of, yeah. in, in of non-social distancing, I think that's a space where mm -hmm. someone can really have a recommitment. It's a really, it can be a really touching service, a really a recommitment, um, a rededication of, um, them, their lives to God and you know God I want to be clean again and I know this is symbolic but this is what I want on the inside mm. I think that's really really important because mm. often and we've probably seen it on our own churches but there are times where when we are and maybe we've actually it's been our own experience when it's communion sometimes we refuse to take part because we don't feel close to God enough not knowing not realizing that the purpose of communion like what Sam was saying is meant to be restorative mm. and for us to almost renew our baptismal vows with God again and I think it's something especially as young people I've seen it before and I've felt like that before though sometimes that we refuse to take part in communion because you don't feel good enough when actually it is the place to be whenever you're feeling a bit cut off from God is to take part in communion especially the foot wash. Hmm. It's interesting you mentioned if, uh, if I may share um, we, we call it the ordinance of humility it wasn't until my brother shared with me an experience he had when he was on a trip in Australia, went to the uh, Aboriginal outback. And uh, of course, when we do communion here, of course, you know, we pamper our feet, you know, cocoa butter and, you know, we, 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 we you know, the water's clean when you're finished. But my brother said, uh, get, a, get a pedicure before. Oh, <laughs> yes, we pedicure. We, but these guys had walked to church. As soon as the foot touched the water, it was black. <laughs> and my brother was there kind of hesitating and thought, oh boy, 
I've got to, I've got to wash these feet. Well, he did it in the end. He truly was uh, humble, and it, that brought a new experience of the ordinance of humility. <laughs> so I'm going to next time uh, I go, to, I'm going to make sure my feet uh, are not pedicured and make sure they're <laughs> dirty. Uh, who would be first to wash my feet? <laughs> oh, okay, I'll take a no on that then. <laughs> <laughs> on, on Sam's point, um, one of his comments came in talking about how oftentimes it's only when um, bad things happen that the youth come into contact with our church governance and discipline structure. Mm. But if you're talking about the ordinance of humility and communion as almost being part of our governance structure, like of a horizontal relationship with each other, like here we reinforce that, here we kind of humble ourselves with each other mm. and we forgive each other so maybe I was on nominating committee and we didn't pass your name because I know what you did last summer or mm. but here mm. I'm here washing your feet so actually like I need to have no ill feeling or ill, Ill thought towards you so maybe like that's something that we can advocate more for kind of seeing communion as part of the kind of the, the nicer side of our church governance structure mm. 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 Sure. Thanks for the comments. They've been coming in online, everyone. Um, just wanted to read one of the last ones. That Jesus, Jesus died for sinners, not saints, and he drew close to those in need. We should draw close to those who are weak instead of just sitting with those who are clean. Amen. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Amen. I wanted to read a text, uh, maybe as we kind of draw to a close in James, kind of dealing with this subject that we've, we've dealt with of truth and consequences and discipline and things like that. And, and James 5.20 does give some encouragement or, or, or perspective. It says, he which converts the sinner from the error of his ways shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, those that are laboring with other people, you know, whether it's us, human, I mean, what Jesus does with us is divine to humanity. What we do with others is humanity with humanity. He that converts mm -hmm. the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul mm -hmm. from death. Ultimately, you know, we're working hand in hand with God and it should be restorative. It should be seeking to save people and, and our actions in whatever part of the process should be looking to deal with people as Jesus would deal with them and, yeah. and ultimately um, desire their, uh, their salvation yeah. in, the, in the process of, of, of whatever we go through. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Well, thank you guys uh before we uh, as we've done each night we're gonna spend some time in prayer and uh any particular specific requests or uh before we close um i was just thinking we should also remember maybe a small number of people who are still stuck abroad and are unable to come back home again um, I know a couple of people who are out of the country who can't come back, um, friends and family. So I think we should also keep them in prayers or just to, mm. that their lives are not too badly disrupted. Mm. I think we should pray for the subject that we've talked about and people that are caught in that situation. Um, people that maybe have uh, ill feelings to, to the church or people that feel slighted by the church mm. and, um, and churches that are dealing with situations like this. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it goes without saying, praying for our young people, mm. not only right here in the NEC, but throughout the union division, 
in the world. Mm. And you know, you know, even with say with me, sometimes you know, in the age of social distancing, you haven't got your local church to go to. Sabbaths, routines not the same. Um, just for help, help us to stay close to Jesus in this time. Amen. Mm. Yeah. Amen. 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 All right, guys, let's let's uh, have two prayers, and uh, whoever wants to pray can pray, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap things up. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this time that we have been able to um, look into the Bible and to explore the story of Peter, which is something that so many of us can be able to relate with mm-hmm. um, the positive experiences that he has, how um, how much he loved you, how he always wanted to stand up for you. Um, and how he sacrificed so much um, for the sake of the gospel. You know, he left everything he, to, in order to, to follow that, even his occupation as well. But we also see some of the common weaknesses that we sometimes um, are guilty of falling into. Sometimes we maybe overestimate our own, the strength of our relationship with you or mm-hmm. our devotion to you. Um, sometimes we underestimate how serious some of those weaknesses are. We maybe look at them as little faults and we don't realize that actually it's sometimes those small little things that can create the, the, the foundation for an even greater fall. And mm-hmm. I just pray, Lord, that you might help us in our own walk with you. Help us to examine our hearts ourselves. Um, those little sins that you're pointing out in our lives, I pray that you may give us the, the humility to accept them and the desire to put them away. Mm-hmm. I pray, Lord, that even when we realize these sins, that we might not be overwhelmed by our sense of shame and guilt. But mm-hmm. um, like Peter, our faith might not fail. And we might realize that you are still open to receiving us again, Lord. Um, be mm. with us as we are dealing with other people who might have fallen or might have just been struggling with sin or with their relationship with you. Help us, Lord, to be repairers of the bridge, um, mm. to be a bridge that can draw other people to you as well, knowing that there is joy in the presence of the angels in heaven over every sinner that repents. So mm. help us to be co-laborers with you in this work rather than to work against you, Lord. In just name yes. I pray these things. Amen. Amen. Dear Lord, as we come before you this evening, um, I just want to pray for everyone who's watching, everyone who's listening, that you will be with them in, in a marked way. This topic is never an easy topic. Pastor, Pastor Sweeney started off by saying it's something that he, um, it's the part of ministry that he, he, he dislikes most. Mm-hmm. So though, dear Lord, anyone who's ever engaged in this process i'm just asking that you will be with them and that you will draw near to them and that you will comfort mm. them and that um they may experience the reconciliation that you would have them to experience mm. i'm praying to heavenly father that you'll be with us as a youth group um, who are going through this process of social distancing mm. and in moments like these where the routine is not the same and things aren't as normal that we'll make the most of the opportunities that we have to draw close to you their fellowship with the saints. Mm. Dear Lord, we're praying for those who are abroad at this moment in time, who are struggling to maybe get back to their usual abode or they've been disrupted in some way. I'm praying, dear Lord, that you will make a way um, out of no way. Mm. And we're praying for those who are in the hospital who are struggling. Um, dear Lord, there's bereavements going on. Um, people are ill with various diseases. And, and you know the COVID-19 situation. I'm just asking, dear Lord, that you will intervene. We're praying for the outpouring of the Spirit on the church, even at this moment in time. 
that in these mm. British Isles, in a time of social distancing, your gospel can still go forward. Mm. Help us, guide us, and lead us into this experience. Yeah. Be with the NEC Youth Department as we try to galvanize the resources that we have. Yes. We still try and do your work. Mm. Um, please help us, guide us, and lead us. And please may people be one to Jesus, even in this time. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Appreciate you being here. Thank you to our listeners online. Thank you for those who've engaged with us via the comment section. Uh, we look forward to seeing you tomorrow at 7.30. Our subject tomorrow night, based on the reading of the week of prayer, is self-forgiveness. Mm. Self-forgiveness. Yeah. Very important topic. Okay. Um, self-forgiveness. Mm. If you want to read anything, you're planning to be with us tomorrow night uh, to get... I mean, read the week of prayer reading, but the, the Bible kind of story we're going to deal with is going to be looking at Joseph um, and his brothers. Joseph and mm -hmm. his brothers, self-forgiveness. So may God bless you guys. Be safe and look forward to seeing you tomorrow at 7.30. God bless. Bye, guys. Have Thank you. Bye -bye. Thanks, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor. Bye.